I don't know how many of you have been to a country like Thailand, but in Thailand, one of the customs, a very common custom in Thailand, is between 12 and 2 o'clock every day, thousands and thousands of people go in to these little tents and huts, and there it is, they get an actual Thai massage, which is pulling their arms and legs and stretching them even to the place that they feel pain, and they even feel, they recognize areas that their body might be weaker, and it's a very common custom in a place like Thailand. But as we look in the Word of God, we notice this also about God's Word. God doesn't let us look into his word and consider it for long until he's going to stretch us. He's going to take us, he's going to stretch us to a place we may have not expected nor wanted. And as we look in the word of God today, we're going to be looking in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18, and here we're going to see that great stretch of love. I believe John has touched in this one time already in this epistle, but as we follow him in this epistle further, we're going to see him leaving this stretch and coming back to it. He's going to come from a different angle. He's going to catch us a different place. He's going to teach us that love just isn't one of the characteristics of a Christian's life. It is one of the great foundational truths through which everything in our life hinges and what we need in so many ways. And we need that stretch even today. Many scholars would, would, would see it that as John wrote the epistle of 1 John, he was writing primarily to seven churches of Asia. Those seven churches we find in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And in those letters that he was writing to the churches of Asia, that was primarily the jurisdiction which John was operating in at the time of his ministry. This is where God was using him in ministry. But in two of those churches, just to consider this morning, the, the church of Ephesus, the first church John wrote to, one of the exhortations of Ephesus was that you left your first love. He called them back and he said, the passion of the love of God is not in your heart at Ephesus. He even says they were doing a lot of good things, but they had left their first love. And I just look at that like this is the love God has toward us, the recognition of God's love toward us, but also the recognition of the privilege of loving other people as Christ loves us. And as you come to the last letter he wrote was to Laodicea. And as we look at that letter, he spoke about a group of people that were rich. They were increased in goods. They didn't have need of anything ever anymore, but in their heart, they were wretched and lonely and miserable. The love of God was not in their heart. They were going to church. They, they had a name. The Word of God says several of those churches had a name that lived, but it was dead. And I think of it in lieu of where we're at today in America, each of those churches really fit on some level in the American culture and probably even in our particular culture. If you stop and think about it, every church, but many of those churches were speaking to an area of love that is forgotten, overlooked, or neglected in Christians' lives. And today we have the Word of God, and the Lord gives us the Word at Calvary Chapel Surprise, and He says, It's for you today. 
It's not, it was for Ephesus, it was for Thyatira, it was for Philadelphia, it was for Smyrna, it was for Laodicea, but it is, it is for the Church of Surprise today. This, this letter of love that, that John is writing to us about and the privilege that we have been given to exercise in this love. Beginning in verse 11 of chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, love one another. And when John begins this, it's like, okay, I guess we all know that. We just love one another. That's the message from the beginning. But John says, I, I want to give this to you that you would understand how important this is because it really did come from the beginning. He's going to take us back in the beginning. We will look back there uh, pretty quickly. But one of the great truths of love that we're going to see as we look at it in the Word of God is, is the love of Christ in us is radical. It's changing. It, it has effects that we don't even see initially. It affects us in ways that we don't even know originally. But here John says, you've got the message from the beginning that you should love one another. I've read accounts of John at the end of his life. He was the apostle that never died the martyr's death. But he would be carried by his loving brothers and sisters to the church on Sunday from his house. And, this, and history would record and document that as John was being carried into the sanctuary in his own weakness, from the lips of John would come this simple message, love one another. People would gather along the streets as John would be going towards, towards the church, and the words of John simply would keep coming out, love one another. Little children love one another. One time someone asked John, why, why did you say that? What was the reason for that? And John said this, because this is the commandment of the Lord. And if this one thing is attained, it's enough. This is where the apostle was. And yet I, I say this as your servant for Christ's sake today, that in the middle of Christianity, we can miss this so easily on certain levels. And the love of Christ isn't where God wants it in our life. I guess I'm indebted to a pastor, many pastors, but this pastor, several, several weeks ago, we were talking a couple months ago now. He looked at me and he says, John, could I give you a suggestion for the Church of Surprise on a book of the Bible when you finish Philippians? He said, would you ever think of taking 1 John and letting God stretch that your church in a way of love? One of the things he said is your church, like every church, is going to be called to love in ways that we don't even see originally. And I think really this is where John was here. He was at this place in writing to these, this epistle as he knew that this church these churches he was writing to was going to be stretched in love. And I love this, that God does this stretch. Many times, God has just stopped me and said, you're not loving like Jesus loves you. You know, it's, it's a little bit like the, the, the prayer we pray when we say, Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. 
And the Lord says, do you really want me to do that? Do you really? And here it is that John is coming to this point as he teaches this, this message that we heard from the beginning that we should love one another. When we look at this, let's look on the screen at Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. This defines this love of God that's throughout the Bible that Paul was teaching to the Roman brothers. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. And here it is, he says these words, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died. Do we have those back there to put up on the screen? Okay. I'll tell you what, we, we don't have them on the, for the screen right now. We did last night. Grab your Bibles right in front of you because I'm going to flip back in a little bit to, to Genesis and we'll look at this because this is a tremendous passage. If you don't have a Bible, there's one right below you and take that one, take it home if you want. But here, Paul writing says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. There it's on the screen. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for the good man, one would even dare to die. Someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. At the core of love is a recognition that can't escape our heart that we're only where we are in Christ because he died for us. We're not worthy. No church is worthy. No group of people is worthy. No belief system is worthy. The word God says when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's each one of us that's here at this time. But John, notice how he starts. This is that message. You've heard it from the beginning. It's like when you began your Christian life, you heard it. You're still hearing it today. It keeps coming back because we don't want to stop hearing that message that you would love one another because love is easy to flee us. Even, even Paul writing to Timmy, Timothy would say, in the last days, the love of many will even wax cold. It will it will lose that fervor and vibrancy. It'll lose that passion. The sacrifice of brother to brother, sister to sister will be lost in the middle of living. And here we see this, that we should love one another. It's a privilege. It is also just a biblical principle that whether we choose to love or not, it's still a true principle that God is asking us to exercise in. Then he, in verse 12, not as Cain, who was an evil one, and slew his brother. For what reason did he slay him? Because his, his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Why did Cain ever slay his brother Abel? And I want to take you back to that lesson in Genesis 4 for just a moment here. Because John takes us here, and I want us to look at the lesson of Genesis chapter 4. And here you have the first child born to his mom and dad, which was Cain. And in verse four, verse, chapter 4, verse 1, the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. He was the firstborn. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with help of the Lord. Eve even acknowledged that Cain came from God. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. 
So it came about in the course of time, a lot of years probably went by here, that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Somewhere in Cain's heart was this recognition, I need to take an offering to God. And so he takes it from the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought the firstlings of the flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and evidently Cain told Abel his brother, this is what God told me, and uh, I, I don't like it, as we'll see the result. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? God said, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. John, John has reminded us, remember, we need to love our brother, but, but remember, it's not like Cain. What happened with Cain is Cain was exposed to the heart of God and the desire of God for the kind of sacrifice that he was to give. And as he heard God's heart, he resisted the heart of God. Love often does that. God's heart is not responded to, which is always a heart of love. And rather than respond, he reacted to the, to the heart of God. And as he reacted, this is what happened. The result of the reaction was murder. Now, many times in love, it's, it's, it's a very, uh, very clear and an amazing story here. And it also, one of the great teachings here is the wages of sin is death. But it's also speaking the end result of hatred and how far it goes. And really, hatred is just lovelessness. We'll see this later in the text this morning. When you remove hatred, a love from our hearts, we have hatred. You take away love, it isn't like, I don't care, it's nothing. No, it's hatred. And this is where Cain got, and as a result of that, there was much judgment uh, that came for a long time in Cain's family and in his life. Let's go back over to John and keep going through this text we're at today. Because this is such a powerful text, and, but John has just said this, I want you to love one another, not as Cain. Remember, not as Cain, who was the evil one, and slew his brother, but for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And then you may have remembered us saying this, but love is radical. It has a radical end, and also not loving is also radical. Do not be surprised in verse 13 if the world hates you. Now that's one thing that happens to many of us as Christians. We run into some hatred, and we go, wow, I thought I was a nice guy, or I didn't mean to hurt those people, or I didn't know that my neighbor felt the way he did about Christianity, whatever it may be. But John reminds them, don't be surprised if the world hates you. And as we look, as, as we look at this uh, in the word, we, 
into the next verse, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Now, in the original manuscripts, the word the brethren is, is not there. Several places in John's writings, he will in, translators have injected another word or two to bring up something. But I want us to get this because it's so important about love. If you just we'll go back and read this, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love. Yes, the brethren, but we love. Love doesn't have conditions or parameters. Love exercises impartially. Love goes over the top of walls. Love works where flesh stops. And when John is saying this, he is speaking about this unconditional love that we receive from God the Father, and God does amazing things by it. And in verse 15, he says, everyone, and notice how far reaching this is, who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, immediately we say, well, I don't hate my brother. But when you look at the word hatred here, it's interesting, the definition that you will find. It's missio, it's the person who despises their brother. He doesn't really, I don't have any regard for him. Or detest his brother. That's another word we find in definition here. There's a, there's a, a couple other words. Is just love less. Just love less. And what John is saying is everyone who misios his brother, hates his brother, is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Love is very radical, but love has a tremendously amazing end, and no love has an amazing end. If love is removed, if love is removed from the equation, it's hatred, it's murder. It may not be in a physical death, but it can be in the human heart. It can be in a way in which we literally killed somebody. And God calls us back, even as we're looking in the text today, to this area of loving our brother and, and, and our sister as the Lord would want, and we love. And John will talk about this later throughout this, this book as we look further into it, even in the next several weeks. I have a, a picture that I want to put up on the screen from China, if I can. And this is a picture of a young couple. He was a deacon in a church that we worked with for several years. And when you talk about love, his name is Ogwe. He has two little girls. They can't afford to house those little girls. So they live several hundred miles in the southern part of the island of Hainan from them because they're that poor. He's in insurance. He works half of the day. But Agwe is one of the greatest servants of example I've ever seen in my entire life. He's probably about 35 today. I haven't seen him for about five years. And that's his, his blessed wife and the two little children. But everywhere you would go in China working with Agwe, he was there just pouring out the love of God with a big smile. Matter of fact, he, uh, he led worship. And he had the most beat up guitar and he stood up, sat up there on a seat and time after time and played that guitar just praising God that he had a guitar. It's just, just amazing. But after many times after we have taught, the, the, the leaders of the churches there would come forward and ask for prayer. And Agwe, 
and his wife without the children come up one day, and they asked for prayer. And so Deb and I was praying with them, and, and one of the beauties of the Chinese church is they're very transparent. If you ask them, what would you like to, us to pray about, they'll tell you exactly what you, they want you to pray. It's not like, I'm okay, but. Agwe just, uh, Agwe's wife says, I want my husband to pray with me, but he doesn't want to pray with me. And so I said, Agwe, is, is that true? And he says, yes, that's true. I don't want to pray with her. And I said, why, why don't you want to pray with your wife? And he says, because I'm tired at night, and she prays such long prayers that I go to sleep, and she's still praying. <laughs> and they're both right there on their knees in front of you with a translator. And I said, Agwe, if your wife would pray shorter prayers, would you pray with her? He says, yes, I would. So I turned to his wife and I said, could you pray shorter prayers with Agwe? And she said, uh, but the Holy Spirit gets moving me and I want to keep praying. And I said, well, how about if that meant the difference of having your husband pray with you? Would you do that? And she said, yes, I would. Then I turned to Agwe and he had that smile right there. You see, there it is. And I said, Agwe, if your wife would pray shorter prayers with you, would you pray with her? He says, absolutely. And we prayed a short prayer with them. <laughs> and they got up, and they both had those smiles, and they put their arms around each other, and they just walked away in matrimonial bliss. Now, that's really easy in some ways, because what God did there just in the matter of about 15 minutes is just boom he just puts these two this couple together little misunderstanding and yet they were struggling in love there was there was that part you could feel the edge and god broke broke it down and there they are and i would love to see them today i'd love them them to come visit but they can't come to a place like this but in it they just walked walked away in the lord jesus just rejoicing now when we uh we're, we're, we're speaking of some harder areas here about being a murderer, and we know. But also, it says in verse 16, we ought to lay down our lives. We know, by, we know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. It's a biblical command of the word of God to love our brother and our sister, actually our neighbor, Matter of fact, I have a little trivial thing for you here, and Felix, you can't answer this, but this little trivial thing is, uh, which servant of God was the most guilty of breaking the commandments of God? Does anyone know? Now you can answer it, Felix, because he read this. It was Moses, because when he came down from Sinai, he had the Ten Commandments, and he was so mad, he broke them all right in front of him. But if you look at the Ten Commandments, what you'll see in the Ten Commandments is the last six commandments especially are really encouched in love. They are speaking of what love really is. And each of those commandments are speaking about the power of love in fulfilling the commandment. Go home and study that. Just, just Google the, the Ten Commandments, pull them out. And it is such an amazing truth of the Word of God that love is just about everywhere you turn in the Bible. Now, as we're looking at love in the context today, the, the, the word is agapo. 
It is also referred as agape love, agapo love, which is deep affection, fondness, and tenderness. But it is a love that we cannot produce except the Holy Spirit works in us and through us, and out of that we love because of him working through us. Now, there's several other kinds of love. One is storage, S-T-O-R-G-E. Storage is a family love. It's like a parental. We're going to the park today. Families are going to be there. We're going to hang out. It's the hanging out love that families know. It's not, it's not just about Jesus. It's just about that closeness that we have as a family. There's another love that's similar, very parallel, called filio or phila. And this love is a love that's that brotherly affection or friendship. It is that, that I really like that guy. You know, we all kind of have the same habits and hobbies and jobs and interests, and we like to hang out together. And this is this other love, and then the other love is this word eros. This is a sensual. It's a, it is a physical. It's an outward. It is that which drives the flesh of men and women when the Holy Spirit is not taking control of their life. And so there's several kinds of love that we're looking at. But as we look into verse 16, we are, we are realizing that love is not only radical, but it has an amazing end either way. If you love, there's an amazing end. If you don't love, there's an amazing end. One way, you are a liar or a murderer. The other way, you pass from death unto life just like it says in verse 14, because we love the brethren. And we know, and this is another part of this that's important. In the book of John, several teachings are teachings that we can know as we read it and challenge ourselves. And one of them is this teaching. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our life down for the brethren. I, I would guess many of you here have read and been blessed by Amy Carmichael. Uh, she was a wonderful sister of God many years ago who gave her life to go into India when India was in one of the most despicable times ever. And that girl just loved God so much that she felt like God was calling her to India. She spent 55 years in India just serving among the poorest of the poor. We hear of Mother Teresa we hear of these examples, but Amy was quite a few years ahead of her. She died like 96 years old, 95. But Amy was known for her love in India. It was an amazing thing. Someone asked Amy one time, why would you ever do something like go to India and give so many years when you had so many gifts that God could use here in America? And Amy just simply said it like this. She said, when I consider the cross of Christ, how can anything I be called to do be sacrifice? She saw love in an amazing way and recognized what God was doing through that love. I want you to look at me at, in the Bible with me at 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. And here we'll see on the screen the teaching of the Apostle Paul in the maybe one of the great, greatest chapters taught in the Bible in love. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and do not have love, I have become as a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Amy wrote a paraphrase to that that I want to read to you, Amy Carmichael. And this is what she wrote. She wrote, If I belittle those whom I'm, I am called to serve, talk of their weak points in contrast perhaps with what I think of as my strong points. If I adopt a superior attitude, forgetting who made thee to differ, and what hast thou thou hast not received, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I take offense easily, if I am content to continue in, continue in cool unfriendliness, though, though, though friendship be possible, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I feel bitterly towards those who condemn me, as it seems to me unjustly, Forgetting that if they knew me as I know myself, they would condemn me much more than I know nothing of Calvary love. One of the words that describes love in the Bible is the word fervent. We have a couple verses in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, 22 and 23, where Peter's writing to the tribes that are scattered throughout all the regions. He lists them there. But he says, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but, a, but imperishable. That is the living and enduring word of God. A fervent love, in definition, is a stretched out love. We're speaking of that stretch of love today. A fervent love is a constant love. I will keep loving, irrespective of the response back, because this is what Jesus does to me and through me. This is how he touches me in so many ways. A fervent love is a very intense love. It will go deep. It will keep on penetrating beyond barriers that the human mind will even perceive that may or may not be there. Another, another verse in 1 Peter 4, 8, here comes the word fervent again. He says, above all, keep fervent love in, fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. When you read that, you think, well, what sins is love covering? Is that love's covering the, the, the brother or sister's sins? Yes. But is it covering my sin too? When I love as Christ loves me, is, is my sin, my flesh, more covered? Because coming out of me is the love of Christ that is so important, that is exercised to his glory and to his praise. I jotted down just a few definitions of love that I wrote down. These are homily definitions. But the first is love written down 
vertically, L-O-V-E, right on down. Love, read this. Love is listening when another is speaking. Love is overlooking petty faults and forgiving all failures. Love, V, valuing each people for who they are. E, expressing love in a practical way. Another definition I read from an author is, is this. Faith gives Christ to me. Love flowing from me shares Christ with others. I don't know if there's a way to share Christ without the love of God flowing from our hearts. I just don't think there probably is because they must see the love of God through us. The word of God speaks of this in so many ways and in so many places. And there's the little boy, the common one, the little boy that was at the spelling bee that was asked to share love, spell love, and the little fellow just said T-I-M-E. And the teacher said, no, let's, let's do this again, spell love. And he said T-I-M-E. But if you are a parent here, if you are a grandparent, if you are a husband or a wife, T-I-M-E often spells love. If you are a brother or sister, a neighbor, T-I-M-E spells love. In John 3.16, we know the, this verse. We're looking at this great stretch of the Christian today, but we've, I put it up on the screen so we could, just go, we could look at it one more time. It's a verse we probably need to look at actually thousands of times in our life. For God so loved the world, God began with love, that he gave his only begotten son the gift of God in Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. When you look at that, 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 that verse with me, you see a definition, don't you? It starts with God. It goes to the world. It comes to the gift of his son. And it comes to any person who will believe in him will have everlasting life. You know, we've been talking about our stretch, but it's really important to see something else in the Bible. You can't look at love in the Bible without seeing the stretch of God that gives us the power to love. We're not lovable people. We just aren't. Our natures are not worthy of God's love, and yet the Word of God teaches us throughout that God stretches to love us so that we can love others. Without his stretch to us, we can't stretch to others. There is no way we can reach out to other people unless we are reaching out with the realization in our hearts that he's reaching out to us even today. You know, I, I have a few pictures up here on the screen I want to put here because now we're right in the city of Phoenix, Arizona. We're right with a sister who walks in this church every Sunday and then she heads downtown. Takes a young 15-year-old boy with her and all they do is go downtown and share Jesus and pass out some things. She runs into homeless people like this and there she is. She'll be at the next service, Lord willing. Someone that's struggling deeply, but she's there for them. Love is being there for them. 
She sees a man there, I think his name may have been Josh. Homeless, has nothing, just a can out. And there it is, it's where love is. And then here's a woman, everything she's got is just in a cart. You know what's amazing to me is we, could, we can sit in a place like Surprise, Arizona, and that can get 100 miles away, can it? But it's really, really close. And you know, one of the things about the Lord when he's teaching this area of loving our brother or loving our sister or loving others, it's really not about the, the one we can have natural feeling of love to. It's that person that we struggle to love. It's that circumstance that seems so difficult we don't want to go. I have noticed this with God. You probably notice it too, that God's got an amazing sense of humor. In the course of my life, like yours, there has been people that have just done everything in many ways to, to stop the ministry and stop the work of God and stop things... And all of a sudden, God does something. He's a reconciling God. But if that changes, God blessedly brings someone else to love. Sometimes it's the person you work with right in the job. It's, it might be the customer you're working with. It might be your husband. It might be your wife. It might be your neighbor. It might be your brother. But when the word teaches this area of love, it's speaking about loving people that are not worthy of our love because we are not worthy of God's love. And this is what is so profound in the word of God is that we are not worthy of the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave to us. Right at Calvary's surprise, his only begotten son to go out and love. And because of it, there's a sister in the streets of Phoenix. I look across this congregation at people right here that I know God has stretched in love. And some of you don't even know I knew it. You never even knew I saw it. And there's a lot I don't see, much I don't see, because that's how God is. But as God begins to stretch and to move and call us to go where we didn't want to go and to love someone that really outwardly is not worthy of his love, until we look at ourselves and then we realize, Lord, I'll go because I'm not either. I'm not worthy of your love. That's who we are. Now, John, as we come to the end of this chapter, in our study today, he speaks about this love being expressed in the last two verses of John 17, verses 17 and 18. But I want to go back to the 15th and 16th and then read 17th and 18th. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, this is the end of that no, no love stuff. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to express his love by laying down our lives for the brethren. And now John just touches a little deeper as we come to the end of the message. He says, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need has the ability but doesn't exercise it and closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? 
Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. And here comes love, and it will be, we'll see it later. John will pick it up, he'll drop it, he'll pick it up again. As he's writing, he'll drop it. But the, the, fourth, the fourth chapter is just full of this truth and this teaching of loving one another, loving unworthy people, stopping when we didn't want to stop. One day I was going to Costco down here by the freeway, 10 and uh, 101, and there it was. There was a woman out there right going into the driveway, and she had a, a sign, I need food and I need a place to stay. And I, like many of you, I went right on into Costco, and then I remember there was a little boy sitting out there too. And for some reason, I was going through Costco, and I could not even keep my mind on why I was there because I couldn't get my mind off of that woman out there saying, I need food and I need a place to live. And I get back in the car to leave and I just drive right there and I think, what? What did I do? And I stop. And this woman told me she had just been evicted from her house and had her son and her bag and that's all she had. What would you do? Because this is how Jesus is seen and shared. We did a little bit. I think we went to an ATM. I can't even remember. But I just remember this. How easy it is to go past the brother or sister in need. It happens so easily. And Jesus here simply said, uh, how does the love of Christ dwell in you if, you if you go past the brother or sister in need? The neighbor the woman at Costco in need. How does the love of Christ dwell in you? You know, I thank God that within this church are places that you have went out of the way to make a difference. You stopped when you didn't want to stop. You made a friend when you didn't want to make a friend. You didn't think you needed any more. And you made a friend. You went the second mile someplace to bless someone to the glory of God. And what happens through this so often is something comes as a result of love called reconciliation and people start coming back to Jesus or they come to Jesus for the first time and there it is they see the Lord Jesus in his glory because they saw Jesus in one of you. This afternoon we'll be over at the park, a lot of us just having a nice picnic and there is someone in that park around us that needs Jesus. I want to challenge us to keep our eyes looking out at the park. Go beyond the picnic. Because so often Christians can fall into the picnics and miss the rest outside the park. But John, as he comes to the end here, he just basically says, little children... And I love how he uses that because what he does, he takes us all back to the same place at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, I just need your teaching. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to love where you want me to love and go where you want me to go. Jesus, I want to be there. Help me to be there. Take away the indifference and the cynicism and the coldness and the busyness and everything that keeps me from going, going, being there. Little children, let's not love in word with word and with tongue, but in deed and in truth. 
You know, one of the things that I have learned in teaching the gospel is very seldom do I teach as I get older that God doesn't test me within a few days. Very, very seldom. So you can pray for me there too. Because that's, it, it isn't just about me preaching this to you. It's about me tomorrow responding how Jesus wants me to respond. And caring for unlovable people and letting God lead us to where he wants to lead us. And then as we begin to stretch, let's always remember something, though, as God takes us on our next stretch in love. And I can't wait. It would be amazing if in one week everyone here could share how God stretched you to love. Maybe we should share with each other more. Maybe we should just share that I was stretched I didn't want to go there. But as God stretches us, never forget who's stretched for us, God.